0: Well, hello again, Third Church family uh, or anyone else who might be uh, worshiping with us this afternoon. So grateful that we can do this together and that we have the technology to do this together despite our geographic separation right now. Um, you'll know if you have been with us uh, in our part of the Third Family that we have been in a sermon series since the beginning of Lent uh, on the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, I have just been contemplating the sovereign providence of god in having us examine the creed uh, in a moment like this as i said just a few weeks ago uh, what an amazing opportunity for us in the midst of such uncertainty to be looking together at the great certain truths of god that have been carried out in space and time and history in our world. These truths that Christians have confessed through all sorts of wars and plagues and pandemics and crises throughout the ages, we stand on the truth of the historic gospel in the midst of this uncertainty. So today, really this weekend, today on Good Friday, and then of course on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we get to really what is the heart of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So today we'll be looking at that statement in the creed that says um, he was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And to do that, I'll be reading from Mark uh, chapter 15, verses 16 through 39. This is Mark's account of the final hours of Jesus's life. Um, This is a a very uh, deep and Uh, sobering and moving passage. So as I read it, I would just invite you either to read along um, or to just close your eyes and listen and try to imagine this scene in your mind as you hear it. So let's hear God's word from Mark chapter 15. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Jesus, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, They took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his left, one on his right, those who passed by curled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross now. Save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemasabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. So someone ran, filled a sponge with vine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And then with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple! was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things you'll notice, and you might have noticed when I was just reading that account and that you also notice when you read Matthew and Luke and John's account is that there's actually very little attention given to the sheer pain and agony of Jesus' suffering. Uh, I mean, of course, Jesus' suffering, it would have been absolutely horrific, uh, brutal, bloody, gory. But what is interesting is that these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't give real special attention to the gory details. Mark just says, and he was crucified. Uh, They give little attention to the physical agony, uh, and instead, they pay attention to the meaning of Jesus' crucifixion, the meaning of his suffering. And we see that in a couple of ways in this story. The first is that we see them emphasize the mocking and the shaming that Jesus receives. Did you notice that as a theme? As I read that passage, the theme of mocking, shaming, insults, all thrown upon Jesus. First, the soldiers dress up Jesus as a king, spit on him, mock him, kneel down before him. Jesus is stripped of his clothing, exposing him, shaming him before the crowds. Uh, there is a sarcastic sign fastened above his head that mocks his title. Uh, People walking by yell at him, insult him, heap scorn on him. Then the chief priests uh, and the scribes begin mocking and making fun of Jesus. And then to top it all off, even the criminals, Mark says, who were crucified to his right and his left, they too begin To insult Jesus. So there's this constant hostility, shaming, scorn, contempt hurled upon Jesus from beginning to end. This is what we hear about, not the blood and the gore, but the rebellion, the humiliation. Why? What's the point that Mark is trying to make? I think what the Bible wants us to see is the Bible wants us to see the truth about ourselves. The Bible is holding a mirror up to us and helping us to see that when we look at the mockers, we should see ourselves. I I, I always get goosebumps when we sing that beautiful hymn and we sing the words, uh, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. And this is the truth that Mark is trying to convey. He is saying, look, look. Even if you don't mock Jesus literally, maybe you can't remember the last time that you made fun of Jesus or mocked him. I mean, of course, we would all say, well, Jesus is my Lord. Of course, I don't do that to Jesus. And yet, the whole Bible suggests this is the posture that we all carry in our hearts. Outright contempt and rebellion against the God who made and loves us. How much of your life is actually submitted to the rule of Jesus Do you truly take up your cross daily and follow him, giving him the whole of your lives? Do you truly do his will? Is he the one that you live for every single day? Does he have your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, your whole body? Do you call him your king? Live entirely for him. What you'll see instead, I think if you look in your heart, and I I know as I look in mine, is you see contradiction. And we see that contradiction here in verses 18 and 19. It says, they begin to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they struck his head with a staff and spit on him. They kneel down in homage to him. So you see the contradiction. They salute him and then they strike him. They kneel and then they spit on him. And the whole thing is a charade, but it's a mirror. It's a mirror that exposes the deep contradiction in all of our hearts. In mine, and yours, Jesus, I say. You're my king. And yet I hold on to rule of my own life. I call Jesus Lord, but I don't actually give up control over my own life and ambitions. I do what I want to do. Keep Jesus on the margins of my life. Don't bring him to the center. Serve him at only my convenience, living in the way that I want to live. See, friends, this is what is in my heart. This is what is in your heart. And in this moment, Jesus is receiving in himself the full rebellion and contempt of humanity against the rule of God and his love. Just gonna illustrate it here and try to use some simple words today. <laughs> but what we see is humanity spewing the full weight of their rebellion and antipathy against God and all of it falling upon Jesus in that moment. And what do we see? We see that Jesus receives it. He absorbs it. He takes it in. Why? Because of his love. We see him say from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He receives their mocking. He receives the insults. He receives the scorn of those who heap their insults upon him. Why? Because he loves them and he loves us. So Jesus faces scorn. But the other thing he faces is even more terrible. Because if you look at verses 33 and 34, we hear this. And the sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 here, a Psalm of David, in which David is feeling forsaken by God. And he cries out to God like any of us would. It's a cry of abandonment, of God forsakenness. And, And we've all felt that way at times. Maybe some of you feel that way right now, wondering where is God? Where is he in the midst of this crisis? Where is he in the midst of this pandemic? Maybe you're feeling a sense of separation from God. Maybe you've experienced loss. Uh, Maybe you've experienced the shattering of some dream in your life. Maybe you've experienced cataclysmic uh, falling apart of your life or your finances. Maybe you're feeling stuck, isolated in your home. Think of all the people who are right now Stuck by themselves in hospitals, on ventilators, struggling for their lives, cut off from other people, cut off from those that they love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've all felt it. And yet, and I want to say this as sensitively as possible, knowing that the, the, the suffering of many people is very real right now, our feelings of abandonment are just that, feelings. Not fact, but feelings. Because the truth is, you are never alone. No matter how alone or abandoned you might feel, God is always present. He promises to never forsake you. Our sense of feeling forsaken is a feeling, not a fact. And yet, it is different in this moment for Jesus. Because in this moment, Jesus's feeling of abandonment was not just feeling, it is reality, it is a fact. The Bible teaches that on the cross, God the Father laid on God the Son, who took it voluntarily, the full judgment for the sin of humanity. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. It's the truth of the cross. As God sees this grotesque display of the rebellion contempt of humanity, all this mocking, God does what he always must do in the sight of sin He turns away. He abandons the Lord Jesus, forsaking him utterly. The Father turns his face away. So we also see in this moment, not only Jesus receiving the contempt of humanity against God, but we see the full wrath of God against human sin falling on Jesus as well. So you see, friends, this is why the Bible doesn't focus on the physical agony of Jesus. I mean, to be honest, a lot of people have faced terrible, horrible deaths. In fact, a lot of people have faced worse physical pain and worse physical deaths than Jesus. What Jesus faced here was worse than mocking, was worse than physical agony, was worse than the tearing of his flesh. Jesus suffered in the most possible, terrible way that any human being could suffer. He suffered the abandonment of God. This is what we mean when we say in the creed, he descended into hell. We mean that Jesus suffered the totality of God's abandonment. He suffers more than anyone ever will or ever has suffered. And he suffered in the most ultimate way because he is forsaken. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is not a feeling. It is a fact. It is the cry of the damned. So why does Jesus do this? Again, because of love. God takes upon himself what belongs to us. He bears our hellish alienation. He bears it to the bitter end. You know, at one point, some people in the crowd yell, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And they don't realize it, but they're exactly right. He can't do both. Of course, Jesus could have saved himself if he wanted to. He could come down. He could call a legion of angels. If he, but yet he chooses to stay for the sake of love. He knew that it was either him or us. It was either Jesus dies for sin or we die for sin. Jesus is judged for human rebellion or we are judged for human rebellion. Jesus is damned or we are damned. And Jesus chooses to stay. He refuses escape. And in doing so, he becomes the God forsaken one. And so you can see in this astonishing moment, in this moment on the cross, Jesus is the forsaken one. He receives and absorbs the full rebellion of humanity against God, and he receives and absorbs the full wrath of God's judgment against man. He receives all of it alone as he stays put by himself on the cross because of love. So friends, what does this mean for us? Well, it means, as we've said in previous weeks, it means a healed relationship with God. You know, religion is basically man's attempt to get to God. We say God does his part, now it's up to you to try to be good and work your way through religion and service and sacrifice to work your way up to God. I mean, that's what religion is all about. And yet in the cross, we see that Jesus has done it all. He has done not just God's responsibility, but he has done our responsibility. He has fulfilled both sides of the covenant. He stood in God's place in receiving the rebellion of humanity, and he stood in human, our human place by receiving the judgment of God. That means that Jesus' work is finished. This is why he says it is finished. There is nothing we can add to the finished work of Christ that he accomplished on the cross. That's why the, the veil is torn in two because God and humanity are reconciled through the work of Jesus on the cross. You are free. You don't have to work for your salvation anymore. You don't have to earn God's approval. You can't get him to love you more. This is why Good Friday is good. Because Jesus has lived for us and died for us. The sacrifice has been made. The healing between God and humanity has already been accomplished. What's now left for you to do is respond in gratitude in giving your whole life to God because of his grace. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? But it also means this, that for the life that you live today, you are never Abandoned. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because Jesus made that cry, you and I never have to. Because he was willingly abandoned. We never have to be abandoned. Because he was cut off from the Father so that we can say nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is forsaken that we can be free, that we can be forgiven that we can be loved. So, so many of us find ourselves in the depths right now, physically, emotionally, financially, uh, suffering the pain and sorrow of fear and anxiety and alienation and uncertainty. And what we are given in this moment, this beautiful moment, is we are given the forsaken figure of Jesus on the cross. We are not given answers. We are given the Son of God, torn apart from us, God entering into our human situation. God forsaken that we might never be forsaken. Always loved, always secure in the love of God forever. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you and for all of us that we might experience this Good Friday the fresh revelation of the love of God demonstrated to us on the cross. So let's pray together. Father, we do look in astonishment at the cross. We see that Jesus endured there both the wrath of humanity and the wrath of God. That his true suffering was not just the pain the physical pain it was the the spiritual agony of being fully rejected by men and being fully abandoned by God and we simply praise you and say thank you that because Jesus was forsaken for us we will never ever be forsaken, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.